Hey everybody, this is Chris. Welcome to episode 5 of Remarvel. And uh, if you've seen the title of the episode, I have a pretty good idea what you might all be thinking. And uh, that might be, uh, is he really going to do another X-Book? And uh, yes, <laughs> indeed I am doing another X-Book this week. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, the X-Books have been pretty much all I've been reading uh, of late outside of a uh, my action comics duties, uh, it's been all X-Books here. Uh, so much so that I have the sneaking suspicion I might have manifested a mutant ability of my own. And uh, that ability is to uh, destroy all technology that's in my vicinity. It's uh, been a very, very strange week here at the uh, Palatial Cristate, uh, starting last Saturday. Uh, you know, I don't know how this is going to sound because this is my first... Uh, recording on a uh, on a new laptop. You see, last Saturday, after I finished my uh, my blog post for the morning, I settled in to do a little bit of a textbook reading for school, and uh, it was going all well and good. I was reading for about an hour, got a couple chapters into a textbook, and uh, suddenly decided that I thought it might be a little bit more comfortable if I was resting on the other end of the couch. So. You know, I'm kind of nuzzled into the right side of the couch with my legs to the left, and uh, I figure, eh, I might be more comfortable if I were the exact opposite way. Not that I was terribly uncomfortable to begin with, and uh, I don't know why I even thought to move, but I did. And, you know, as I'm scooting over, you know, I'm moving my body from right to left, and in so doing, I'm also swinging my legs from left to right, and uh, in that path of my legs was a tall cup of coffee, and uh, that cup of coffee was right next to my laptop. And uh, this cup of coffee was pretty full. So, I mean, you know know where this is going. (laughs) I tipped the coffee into the laptop, um, and it was kind of like one of those, like, car crash moments where time kind of slows down, and, like, you can feel, like, every little bit... And, like, I saw the cup tip. I saw, like, drops come out of the top of this cup and then the big splash. And uh, sat there, uh, cursed a bit, and uh, finally came, you know, came back to reality a couple seconds later and uh, decided it's probably in my best interest to maybe, you know, flip the laptop over and try to drain it. So uh, I did that. You know, I drained it, got coffee all over the carpet, all over the table, uh, the coffee table. So I guess it, it works, right? Um, and I pick up the cup, and uh, I drop the cup again. The cup slips out of my grip, tips over, falls all, all over my phone and the Apple TV remote, and it's like uh, such a comedy of errors here. And I, I, I figured, you know, like, I just destroyed everything in this house. But the phone was okay. The, uh, the Apple TV remote was fine. But the laptop, well, that's a different story. I kind of left it out to dry for a little bit, uh, Thought about getting the hairdryer involved to see if I can't dry it out, but uh, the only one we had blew hot, and I figured that might do more harm than good. So I just let it uh, do its thing. I let it dry out on its own. And at first, it looked like everything was going to be, you know, all good. Everything was going to be fine. I was able to type, you know, type in my password to get into Windows and all that good stuff. So it was, uh, it looked like everything was going to be, you know, just hunky dory, just a a bit stickier than uh, it used to be, and and a bit cleaner too because uh, it it my my laptop never got clean, and and it's funny because uh, I was just commenting last week when I was in class that 
you know, the laptop never looks dirty until you're in public with it. And then you notice, like, all the smudges, all the fingerprints, all the food marks and stains on it. And you kind of get embarrassed because it looks disgusting. But you never notice that stuff in the house. It's a, it's a weird little thing there. But uh, in dumping the coffee all over it, I, I had a very clean laptop. Uh, on the outside, anyway. It was uh, very sticky on the inside. So by about midday, I knew that, uh, you know, the... It was over. It was done. The uh, That computer was uh, no longer going to be a working computer. It has a touch screen, which still works. So uh, if I ever need a backup tablet that takes a very long time to boot up, I've got something there. So uh, there you go. So uh, my happy ass had to go up to Best Buy to pick up a replacement because naturally the day that the coffee spilled in there, I had uh, classwork due and couldn't wait for Amazon to deliver something. So... Had to go up to the shop, and I just bought the same the same model, uh, and it's an HP Envy, as what I what I've been using for the past very very long time. So I just got the newest, or maybe the two or three newest versions ago. I don't know. It's not top of the line by any means. Uh, just a a rig to get me through school, and something that was uh, you know strong enough to run Audacity, which I'm pretty sure a lot of calculators these days could probably run Audacity on it. So we're back in business, and uh, now I'm using. Like cloud storage, I, I, I guess. Uh, if you have Microsoft Office, you have like a terabyte of uh, of cloud. <laughs> I don't know what any of that stuff is, and it frankly it makes me feel very uncomfortable. I like having files on my computer, but uh, yeah, what are you gonna do? I guess that's just the way of the future, and I need to get on board or something along those lines. But uh, you know, the computer's great. It's uh, I mean, like I said, it's not top of the line, but it's like night and day compared to what I had. Uh, and uh, what I had did did a great service for me. I mean, I was able to graduate college with this uh, with that laptop. Uh, started this, you know, blogging and podcasting journey with that laptop. So it's a uh, kind of a uh, kind of sad in, in a way where I'm not gonna have uh, I'm not gonna be looking into the same screen. Like right now, I'm looking into a different screen than I was last time I recorded this show, and it's it's a little weird. It's a it's a little a uh, little strange. It's a little sad, but. Uh, so far, so good. So far, everything's going great, I think. <laughs> I guess uh, I'll have to leave that to you guys. If uh, if this sounds even worse than normal, then uh, then I'll know something's up. Or if it sounds actually good, then maybe we'll know something's up. But, you know, that, that, was, that was the weekend, and then we jump into Monday, where I got a tip from a, a contact that one of the shops in town, about an hour away from the house, uh, just restocked their cheapo bins. And, uh, it had been a while since I'd been out there, so I decided, eh, you know, what the hell, I'll take the ride. And, uh, it's, you know, like I said, it's like an hour away. Got out there, uh, found some, found some decent stuff. Uh, there's also a bunch of record stores out there that I like to pop in on when I'm in the area, which isn't too terribly often. But now that I'm, you know, I got a little hunt ahead of me trying to capture all these X-Men books that I skipped over the past few years, it's, uh, it behooves me to check some of these bins out, uh, more often than I would have, but, uh, so I go out there, and on the way home, I get on the freeway, and all of a sudden, uh, my check engine light comes on, and the car starts rattling as though I was like, it, you know, like when you're crossing a bridge in your car, and like a big gust of wind comes across, and you kind of have that like that shimmy in the car. That's uh, kind of the feeling I had. Uh, only I was not on a bridge, and there was nobody next to me, and I knew something was up, and. Uh, that check engine light started to flash, and I babied the car into the desert, or you know, off the freeway and into the desert, and all of a sudden I was in a thick white cloud uh, of exhaust. So 
my mutant power to destroy technology, <laughs> you know, it, it loomed again. It uh, raised its ugly head once again. Turns out that uh, the fuel injectors failed, uh, blew fuel into my oil, and caused it to misfire, and a bunch of technical stuff that I haven't the vaguest idea of. You know, he could have told me that my uh, my phalanges were showing, and I would have uh, I would have handed him you know two grand to fix it. So they they know they know a suck is coming when when Chris comes to the mechanic shop. So uh, <laughs> I was able to get it towed in to the place, and uh, the uh, tow guy pulls up. And he tries to convince me that I had a dead battery. Uh, he, he comes and I'm, I'm in a cloud. Literally, I'm in a cloud. You can't see me because my car is in a cloud. And he, he comes over, he's like, oh, your battery's dead. I'm like, no, dude, I, I don't think it's that. Uh, so after, you know, arguing and him finally smelling the fuel, because it was an intense fuel smell. You know, you it, like I walked 100 feet away to get like a mile marker and I still smelled the fuel all the way over there. Though, though in fairness, it might have been all over me. But, uh... I had to convince him it wasn't a dead battery, so when he got his jumpstart kit out, of he, you know, it didn't work. But uh, we got the car loaded on the back end, started the 45-minute drive to the shop, and uh, all the while, uh, the tow driver was more interested having a FaceTime argument with a friend or a girlfriend or a wife, I don't know who it was, but uh, they were just arguing over FaceTime. He was holding the phone in his face, uh, you know, when he probably should have been paying attention to the road since it was just about to be rush hour traffic. Uh, we locked up the brakes three or four times on the way to the shop, which uh, I tell you what was uh, pretty damn scary. You know, it's like one of those times where you want to get out of the car and kiss the ground once you're uh, once you're free of the vehicle. Uh, it's He was just not paying attention, and I had to be like, whoa, 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 <laughs> every time we came a little bit close to, you know, smashing into a whole lot of cars. Uh, luckily we did not, and, uh, yeah, you know, they got the car dropped off, and right now where I'm sitting, everything is good. The car has been fixed, uh, didn't expect to spend all this money this week, but, uh, yeah, what are you gonna do? It could have been worse. And speaking of worse, I should probably talk about the recent, uh, X-Men books I read, the Dawn of X stuff. Uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I'm actually quite enjoying those books. I think they're, uh, they're a lot of fun. Um... Uh, maybe not the the greatest story wise, but uh, you know there's a comfort level that uh, has been missing from the X Men books for me, and it's it feels like it might be coming back. I don't know if it's a a situation where absence makes the heart grow fonder or whatever you want to call it, but uh, I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm I'm actually enjoying my time with these books. I managed to finish the uh, first uh, the new X Men number one, the Hickman and uh, Lionel U uh, issue. And I, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, a lot of stuff I don't understand just due to context. Uh, and I I know I said that I was going to do my due diligence and try to do some research, but I decided that, uh, you know, uh, on Black Friday, some of the local shops here have dollar days, you know, where everything from the past year and even into the back issue bins uh, is a dollar. So I decided I'll just uh, I'll just scoop up all this, uh, you know, pox, hawks, whatever, socks, Rocks, whatever they are, all those books I'll just grab all those, uh, as many as I can On uh, Black Friday for a dollar So I didn't want to ruin those stories for me By doing the research now uh, I figure that, you know, I'll just be A little bit nebulous with it now And then everything will fall into place Once I read the stories uh, in, a, in you know, a handful of weeks or whatever uh, But the X-Men issue, I, I liked I liked it for what it was uh, I still I didn't understand a whole lot of it I didn't understand why Cable is a kid now <laughs> I didn't. I thought maybe that might be X Man, but uh, I guess something happened where 
you know, a, a younger cable came and took care of the older cable or something. I'm looking forward to finding out what that's all about, all the all the particulars and the uh, details of that. So that'll be fun, I think. Um, the book that really surprised me was uh, Marauders Number 1. I was not even planning on buying this. I thought I was just going to do uh, just the X-Men book for now. And, uh, you know, Marvel did what they do to me. They put a checklist in the back of the book, which... That's uh, that's some of that Kristenite where it's I, I'm, it's a weakness of mine. I gotta gotta get them all. If there's a checklist and there's something, there's like a list of things I can mark off, then I'm gonna do it because I'm an idiot. And uh, but luckily, I mean, Maraud has actually paid off. It's uh, I had the same amount of context as I did for X Men, but it felt like I had everything there that I needed in order to fully enjoy it. I feel like uh, uh, Jerry, uh, I think it's Duggan because uh, it's. His name is spelled more like Hacksaw than Dum Dum, so I think it's Duggan and not Dugan, but I could be mistaken. Um, he, he really did a great job setting the table for that and uh, delivered a, a wonderfully fun story. And I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not really in the business of spoiling brand new books. Uh, so uh, I'll just say it's worth checking out if you are of the mind of checking these books out. I think it's uh, I think you'll enjoy it. If you have a, a passing interest in the X-Men, uh, you can get a lot out of that book. But I I was quite surprised because I saw Duggan's name on there and, you know, just like Hickman before, like I said last time, I've never been that big a fan. Um, the last Duggan thing I can think of that I read was uh, Deadpool. Uh, it was one of the many, many, many relaunches of Deadpool, uh, one of the many Marvel Nows, I think. Uh, the story was that, like, Deadpool was, like, sharing a body with a dead S.H.I.E.L.D. agent or something like that. It was, it was back during that time where every damn issue of Marvel Comics had S.H.I.E.L.D. in it, and I, it's one of the reasons why I stopped reading Marvel, because I got just so damn tired of S.H.I.E.L.D. Every time you turned around, somebody was getting permission from S.H.I.E.L.D., someone was begging S.H.I.E.L.D. for something, S.H.I.E.L.D. was making snarky remarks at the heroes, it was just so damn bad. But, uh, that was the last time I'd read, or that's the last time I can remember reading anything from Duggan, and I don't know how hamstrung he was with having to stick S.H.I.E.L.D. in there. And I know there was a co-writer, a comedian, so maybe maybe what I didn't like was his contribution. I, I really couldn't say. It's uh, It's been probably four years since I've read it, but I just remember really not caring for it. But then again, I really wasn't caring for much Marvel at the time, so it might have just been the overall tone uh, of the line. Um, but whatever the case, I, I really enjoyed uh, Marauders. And uh, Marauders is the first time in a very long time where I finished the issue and I, I just can't wait to read the next one. And that's not something I've been able to say, Marvel, DC, Image, anything, for such a long time. So it was a really neat feeling to actually want to, to come back and actually have that, you know, hunger. You know, I want the next book uh, as, as quick as I can get it. So that's a, that's a cool thing. And uh, just uh, yesterday, I read uh, the first issue of Excalibur, which... Again, you know, the story really didn't blow me away, but there was this comfort level, you know? Um, it was kind of, it kind of reminded me of, like, the first day back at school after summer vacation. You know, you see these, you see these people that you hadn't seen in a few months, or, or in my case, a few years. And, uh, you know, they might have a different haircut, or they might be wearing some different clothes, but they're still the same people, and there's still this, like, comfort level and recognition. So it's, I'm reading this, and it's, it's about, like, Psylocke and, and Captain Britain, and then all of a sudden there's, like, a cameo from Rogan Gambit. And it's like, hey, it's Rogan Gambit. I haven't seen them in a while. It's, uh, let's see what they're up to. It just uh, it was just a really cool feeling, and uh, I don't know. It just felt right, you know? It felt like I was where I need to be as a uh, consumer of uh, comic book materials. 
Um, <laughs> it makes me really want to eventually launch this uh, this From Claremont to Claremont podcast I keep threatening with, but just uh, can't find the time or uh, or uh, you know energy to to you know persist and do. Um, I don't know if that's something people would even be interested in hearing. Just my thoughts on every single issue from the from the in between Claremont era. Uh, you know, 1991 to 2000 or whatever it is. But uh, it's something I am considering starting up. Maybe when Action Comics Weekly wraps up, I can uh, I can dedicate a little bit more time to that. If anybody's interested in, you know, talking about those old X-Men books, let me know and we can uh, see about setting something up there. I think it could be a lot of fun and, uh, uh, you know, highly and wildly self-indulgent. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I am what I am. So what, what, what can you do? What's that thing all the kids say about, what is it, follow your bliss or whatever? I guess right now my bliss is the X-Men, so I might want to just uh, continue following that path. Uh, you got to do what makes you happy, I guess. But today we're going to you know keep it in the X-Family here. We're going to talk about a very strange book from uh, 1998, and it's uh, one that I can remember buying. Um, I remember a lot about this day, which is, it, it's really not like a day where anything really happened, you know, it was just the day where I bought this book and a couple other books, and, I, and it's just the, the memory of this day is so vivid, because this is the first time I went to uh, Atomic Comics, um, that's a pretty decent sized chain here in Phoenix, or it was uh, a pretty big chain here in Phoenix, it's uh, one that its reputation kind of preceded itself, because I knew of them before I came out here, because they ran ads in Wizard. So even in the years before I came out here, I knew that this place existed and uh, knew that it was a pretty big deal. Um, I hadn't gone there for a little while because uh, I, I found a couple of shops that I liked that were closer to my house. Um, the first one was a place called Stalking Moon. Um, it was a pretty cool place. Uh, I still see the guy who owned it. Uh, he works at a different shop now, so I still see him. I saw him actually today as I record this. I saw him. But uh, that was my first outside the mall comic shop, and that's where I started uh, picking up uh, picking up my comics. Uh, didn't get on a uh, you know like one of those uh, pull lists or anything because I was still under the impression that that was a uh, privilege that I have to pay for. So I didn't really inquire, and also you know I, I was still kind of wibbly wobbly. I didn't want to make a commitment. You know, if this was just a fleeting fancy, uh, you know, the return to comics, I didn't want. Uh, yeah, especially if I thought I had to pay for it. I didn't want to sign up for something that I wasn't going to take full advantage of, so I, I didn't. Um, there was another shop that was a little bit further than uh, Stalking Moon called Hero Comics, and this is the place where I f- first discovered that, you know, back issues don't need to be upcharged. Um, there, th- This fellow, his name was Hubert Kwan. He owned this place, and uh, first time I went in there, I was looking in the long boxes, the back issue bins, and uh, I remember finding Deadpool number 1. You know, I started collecting the Deadpool ongoing, and I found Deadpool number one in the uh, in the back issue bin, and it was just there, without a bag, without a board, just the comic in a box. And so I ask him how much it is, and he like squints and he looks at the price, and he's like, he's like, well, it says right there. I'm like, what? You know, this is like a, a year old book. <laughs> you can only, you're only going to charge me cover price for it. And he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't really raise the price on the back issues because they're not worth anything. So it's, it was like just one of those. Uh, Weird moments of profundity where it was just I knew that the industry or the hobby that I left behind is a very different one than the one I'm coming back to. Uh, that you know the bottom fell out somewhere in there because you know back home when that book got to be two weeks old it would have been twice the price, bagged and boarded and and just 
totally out of reach if I was uh, trying to collect an entire run. And that Hero Comics was uh, the first place where I actually found myself with a pull box eventually, because uh, it's where I learned that you didn't have to pay for a pull box, and in fact, you saved money if you had one. So another one of those earth-shattering moments that uh, blew my mind. You know, I was a... I was not ready for that because I just came into this hobby in such a different way at such a different time uh, where, you know, they didn't really have to sell to you. It was just they had the product, they knew we wanted it, and uh, we bought it. (laughs) Here they're actually putting effort into selling these things to us. But uh, I I did go to Atomic one day, the first time I went to Atomic, and I bought this Generation X Underground Special along with an issue of Deadpool and an issue of X-Men. And... uh, I, it's so weird how I remember this day, because as I was pulling into the shop, uh, uh, Nine Inch Nails' Head Like a Hole was on the radio. And I'm not a, I'm not a huge Nine Inch Nails fan. I'm, I'm no Kyle Rayner, but, uh, you know, I, I'll listen to them if they're on. And uh, when I finished at the shop, Head Like a Hole was on a different station. I don't know why that is just, just such a vivid memory here, but uh, I bought those three books. And, uh, or at least I tried to at first. I went, picked them up, went to the counter, and... Another one of those earth-shattering moments for me Because I'd never had my purchases judged before It was always just like You want that Rob Liefeld book? Great, that's cool, awesome, take it, you know Uh, Here's some more if you want them But uh, this time I put You know, I slapped them on the the counter And the guy kind of like rolls his eyes And he's like He's like, you read this? And like, well, yeah, yeah, I guess so I mean, you sell it So (laughs) what's wrong with me reading it? And he he, you know, he basically told me that the X-Books were garbage, which was one of those prevailing elitist uh, points of view back then, and probably, you know, to, to this very day. But uh, I, I guess it was just too mainstream for this guy. But I was taken aback because I, I never had a purchase judged like this before, and it was just another one of those uh, illustrations that the the hobby that I'm returning to is a very, very different place than the one I left just a couple years prior, because... I don't think that kind of thing would have happened a couple of years prior, where now it's like, if it ain't, if it doesn't have the Vertigo logo on it, or if it's not an independent book, then, you know, you have to kind of, you want it wrapped in, you know, brown bag before you take it out of the store so nobody, you know, points and laughs at you. I guess the concept of superheroes, especially the mutant superheroes, was just a little bit passe at the time, I don't know, at least to this fella, but... I don't remember how that situation resolved itself, which is an odd little blind spot there, but I, I did wind up buying them. Someone else got involved. I think a, a manager or something overheard this guy talking and kind of told him to buzz off and apologize for him, you know, being a, a jerk. And, and it's kind of uh, interesting on a few different levels because this uh, Generation X underground book was drawn, written and drawn by Jim Mafood, who's a, a local guy. He's here in Phoenix or Tempe or somewhere in, in town here, but uh, he's pretty well known. He's uh, He's got a very unique art style. It's one that I dig a lot. Uh, if you're not familiar with him from this, uh, the, those early Jay and Silent Bob comics, the uh, or the Clerks comics, those were Jim Mafood. He also did, like, Girl Scouts. I think he did an issue of... Uh, Ultimate Marvel team-up. You know, he does a lot of stuff. He does stupid comics uh, for Image and and Oni, I believe. But uh, he's a fun artist. I, I like him a lot. And uh, he's a Phoenix guy. So I thought it was kind of weird that uh, the book got dismissed. You know, this Generation X Underground with Jim Mafood art all over it. <laughs> it's just weird that the Atomic Comics guy uh, would have dismissed it as just more X crap. Might have been just a knee-jerk reaction to seeing an X on the cover of a book. I don't know. But uh, I did have a, uh, a near miss with uh, Jim Mafood when I was 
volunteering at the Phoenix Cactus Comic Con in um, either 2003 or 2004. Uh, it was almost a it was a near miss in that it was kind of a misunderstanding. Um, we were it was a small con. You know, it was before I think it was before it was even called a you know Comic Con for the time that it was called a Comic Con. And uh, a lot of it was kind of homegrown. So one of the big things that uh, the volunteers were responsible for was uh, an art contest. So, you know, the people who came, the convention attendees, would draw something, they'd turn it in, and there would be a, a judging at the end of the day or, or the end of the weekend or whatever it was. And I remember one of uh, Mafood's buddies, or someone who claimed to be a buddy, is, uh, came over, and uh, there was a little kid turning in a piece of art, you know, it was like a little kid, like five, six years old, so, you know, the art wasn't spectacular, and uh, this dude laughed at it and said, he's like, uh, I think uh, Jim Mafood wants to take part in your contest, after laughing at this kid's art, and in order to, like, bolster the kid a little bit, I said, I said, you know what, I don't think he'd win, and uh, that got back to him, I, 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 at least I assume it did, because I got a couple dirty looks later on in the day, but... It was all a misunderstanding. <laughs> I, uh, and for all I know, I might just have a face that elicits dirty looks. So, <laughs> there. I mean, we could take that for what it's worth. Alrighty, so without any further, further, further ado, uh, I think we should start this uh, functified fifth episode, where we look at the Generation X Underground Special from Marvel Comics, uh, cover dated May 1998. Written and drawn by Jim Mafood, edited by Jason Liebig or Liebig or I don't know one of those. Uh, Bob Harris is, of course, the chief. This one cost two dollars fifty cents USD, three dollars fifty cents Canadian, and went on sale March fourth, nineteen ninety-eight. Now this is a it's kind of kind of a jam, you know. There's a, a few stories here. It's like an anthology, I should say. Um, it's all, of course, done by Mafood, but it's a, a bunch of different stories, a bunch of fun stuff in here. Uh, the first story we got is called The Big Game. And in it, Monet, or M, she catches Angelo, or Skin, remember these are the Generation X kids, Monet catches Angelo playing video games in the Xavier Rec Room. And, uh, he's trying to beat the high score in Space Invaders, man. He's playing on an Atari 2600, which, uh, might tell us just how current Xavier's Rec Room is. Uh, Monet, in fairness, does remind him that they do have newer stuff to play with, but Angelo doesn't need any of that slick 32-bit graphic nonsense. He's also happy that the 2600's controller only has a joystick and a button, to which Monet suggests that maybe Skin likes the Atari because his you know skin-stretchy powers allow him to cheat. Angelo assures her that this is not the case, and he even offers to reset the system so they might go at it two players. Monet hems and haws for a bit before finally agreeing to play. In fairness, he does refer to her as a sissy girl wussy first, and I must admit that almost always works on me, so I, I, I can't hold it against Monet for, uh, for you know, caving in. And so, the two play for hours and hours and hours. Uh, M even changes into her, quote, official Gen X pajamas at some point. Into the following day, Angelo steps away to put on another pot of coffee, and in the kitchen he runs into Paige, Paige Guthrie, Husk, and she's listening to her Walkman. He asks her to keep an eye on Monet to make sure she ain't cheating. And so, Paige heads right into the rec room to inform Monet that she is there to make sure she's not cheating. Uh, Monet finds this adorable. Now, this video game competition rages for 24 hours. And throughout the day, we get cameos from most of the rest of the team. Uh, you know, Jono's there, Everett's there, Artie and Leech are there, Emma shows up. 
Uh, Monet has changed clothes and hairstyles several times over at this point, um, and she finally ends her game. Her game ends. She loses. High score, 585 million points. Skin is a bit nervous. He's a bit taken aback by this, but is psyched at the opportunity to beat her score. And so he plays and plays and plays and plays and plays, and he finally reaches 585 million and one points. And so he wins. Or does he? You know, Monet is kind of a jerk, and she suggests that maybe she just let him win so the you know they could put this competition behind them. And as you might imagine, this kind of takes the wind out of Angelo's sails. Uh, as we end the ish, the story here, Everett pulls Emma aside to ask if she really threw the game, to which she responds that she'll never tell. Special note, uh, this story was written for Scott Lobdell. From here, we jump into Jubilee's scrapbook, which is just a page of uh, neat Jubilee things. Uh, you know, some photos, some letters, concert tickets, just little, uh, little knickknacks and Easter eggs. It's, you know, just a neat little page. Next story is kind of the the meatiest one of this issue. It's called Banshee's Angels, and uh, I'll give you three guesses what this is a riff on. Um, <laughs> the story opens on Gangster Avenue. We're in the bad part of town, which you figure if you had not Avenue called Gangster Avenue, it's uh, probably going to be the bad part of town. A man drops off a package after correctly giving the password of Nipsey Russell and your mama last night. <sighs> now the package is Artie and Leech, and uh, the recipient is some dude called the Gator. Now we shift scenes to Cassidy Investigations, where Sean, you know, Banshee, is being chatted up by Emma Frost. The Gator has sent her a ransom note for Artie and Leech. He's demanding $20 million within three days for their return, or else they go, in his words, bye-bye. Sean calls in his angels. Now, Banshee's angels are Husk, Jubilee, and M. I mean, that's not a big surprise. They're briefed on the gig, and they're sent out to fetch the tiny mutant boys. In a neat little bit here, Paige salutes, and for a second she's wearing a Girl Scout uniform, complete with, like, X-Men-themed badges on a sash. It's, it's pretty neat. Um, we head out on the street, and the angels consider their options. M suggests that she might have a contact they can use. And this contact is Bishop, with a giant afro. At first, he plays dumb. And Jubilee hands over a giant bag of dough, which, uh, as luck would have it, jogs his memory. He calls her one bad mama jamma before spilling the beans on the gator. He sends the angels off to visit Lizard's Lounge Bar. At the bar, Husk grabs a goon and informs him that they don't have many panels to waste here, so he'd better start talking. To which he informs her that she be straight trippin'. Lucky for the girls and the page count, the Gator's men arrive just in time to get their butts kicked. The girls hold the baddies off with their guns, which we didn't know they had, but they do, until they point them in the direction of the Gator. After a change of clothes, the girls head to the Gator's house and kick in the door. They find that Artie and Leech are strapped to a giant machine. The gator, uh, you might think he would be a little bit off-put by this, but he's actually very pleased to see the angels, because, you see, he needs more mutants in order to power that machine. The girls are shocked to find out that they're mutants. That's pretty cute, I guess. Uh, now, this machine is bringing to life an army of, quote, badass robotic super pimps, uh, with which the gator hopes to take over the world. Now, after dropping a cassette with their theme music into a nearby boombox, the girls fight the robots. But they're quickly outnumbered. M has an idea and sends Jubilee back over to the boombox in order to crank the funk all the way up. 
And so, Jubilee turns the knob all the way over to way too loud. This raw funk manages to destroy the bots, and Husk explains why. It's, it's very simple. You see, uh, funk can both move and remove, so stands to reason that it would destroy badass pimp robots. Uh, for good measure, M KOs the gator. The story ends with Artie and Leech being returned to Emma Frost and the angels getting a big thumbs up. They decide a celebration is in order and they're all going to head out to get down at the local disco. Next, we get a page of bootleg trading cards. Nine illegal Gen X trading cards for you to print out and sell. Uh, I'm gonna up, I'll upload these to the blog here so we can all get rich together. Because a, a note at the bottom of the page sets the MSRP at $50 a card. So, uh, I don't know about you, but I think it's time to get printing and selling. Our next story is called Half a Face. And uh, I'll give you a few guesses who this is going to be about. Um, now, Chamber, he's on the bus from Snow Valley, Massachusetts. He's visiting New York City because sometimes he just needs to get away from the Institute. Uh, as he walks the streets, he, you know, waxes philosophical for a bit, you know. He thinks to himself how isolated he is and how cruelly ironic it is that normal people treat each other just so poorly. He says that he likes New York because he really doesn't stand out there. He can just go about his business and not really get a second look from most folks. Uh, he passes a movie theater and thinks about his on-again, off-again relationship with Paige Guthrie, and uh, he says he's not sure exactly what it is or even where it's going. Stands at the bus terminal for a while, listening to the man in the ticket booth rattle off all the possible destinations, and it looks like he might be you know, going somewhere else. Uh, nearby, a man asks him for a buck, so he gives him five, and uh, when we leave Jono, he's hopping on the bus, and we find out it's the one headed back to Snow Valley. From here, we go to a sketchbook, a couple of pages of uh, sketches from Jim Moffood here, and there's some really neat bits here. Uh, uh, maybe I'll throw these up on the blog as well, because it just some um, it shows that maybe he wasn't too terribly familiar with this property <laughs> before he you know took it on, because he originally drew Jubilee as smoking a cigarette, which uh, the editors said no, no, no. Uh, he originally drew Monet as being a little short and squat, which uh, again the editors said no, 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 and he originally drew Chamber needing only a bandana to cover the lower half of his face. You know, if you know Chamber, you know that, like, his entire chest cavity exploded up to the bottom of his face. So this uh, picture here has him wearing, like a, like, a tank top, and you can see his chest and his neck. And the only thing that's obscured is the bottom half of his face, like he's a bank robber in the, you know, in the Old West or something. So, again, the editor said, no, no, no. <laughs> From here, we go into the Gen X bootleg T-shirt design. And it's a uh, cutout of the Banshee's Angels. You, you know, you can cut this thing out of your comic, take it down to your local mall, and get it screen printed onto a t-shirt or a denim jacket. Now, Bishop with an afro guarantees that this will make you not, not only the hustler of the year, but also the envy of all your friends and enemies. Uh, and I figure if you're, if you're lucky, you go down to the mall, you might be able to get some airbrushing done on the side as well, so... You know, all the better, and you'll be even bigger hustler of the year. Maybe you'll be the hustler of the decade at this point. Now, the uh, final thing in this comic is a little strip called Generation X versus the Beat Generation. And this is a, a parody of those old hostess ads from, uh, you know, the, the Bronze Age and into the 80s. And they actually use the name Hostess Twinkies in here, so... It's not like a little sound-alike. It's actually Hostess Twinkies is, is the thing. It does say on the top that it's a parody and that their lawyers made them say that it's a parody. But uh, the uh, story here is uh, that Jack Kerouac 
Allen Ginsberg and William S. Burroughs travel into the future in order to destroy it. They load a giant espresso cannon in order to take out all the squares that have screwed everything up in the future. Before they can light the fuse, however, Generation X shows up to stop them. And they explain that while some things have changed, one thing that hasn't is the delicious taste of Hostess Twinkies. And I gotta say, it's probably a good thing that these uh, the Beat Generation fellas didn't show up during that like stint where Hostess was out of business. So there's a, you know how would you have how would you have diffused that? Uh, as luck would have it, there are Twinkies in this time, and uh, the Beatniks love them, and they figure that maybe they shouldn't blow up the world after all. So yeah, that is the Generation X Underground Special. It's a very, very weird book, right? I mean, it's one of those books that it's it's odd that it has, you know, Marvel characters in it, because it just doesn't feel anything like a Marvel book. It doesn't even feel like a Marvel parody. It just uh, feels like something altogether different, and I can't, I can't even think of anything to compare it to. I, I think the closest comparison, uh, aesthetically at least, is... Uh, that Omega the Unknown uh, that the, that Jonathan Latham did in uh, the late 2000s, the mid to late 2000s, it's just seems so vastly different from anything with a Marvel brand on it that it kind of just stands out. And it's it's one that I, I wanted to talk about since uh, deciding to you know pursue this sort of a program on on the channel here. I suppose we can go through each individual story just to give my thoughts. Uh, the first one, the video game one, was a lot of fun. I mean, that's basically going to be what I'm saying a lot here. These are all just a lot of fun, uh, especially if you have a familiarity with these characters, because uh, one cool thing about Generation X was that uh, they felt they felt they were like my contemporaries, kind of. I mean, they were all around my age as I was reading it, so a lot of the stuff they were doing felt um, felt genuine. It felt organic, and uh, I, you know, I could see a couple of a couple of kids in the '90s playing the Atari overnight, and you know. Razzing each other about a high score and stuff like that. I, I think they picked the two perfect characters for it because Skin can cheat with his uh, with his long fingers and uh, M is perfect. So I mean, uh, how are you going to beat M at anything unless she lets you win, which just really plays into the uh, the ending too, which is a lot of fun. Banshee's Angels was uh, pretty bombastic and fun for the time. I, I don't know how it would read now. I don't know if it if it's one of those that uh, doesn't really work today. Um, because, I mean, it is a riff on, you know, old 70s movies and television. I, I don't know how uh, how that translates to, you know, current year. I don't know how uh, folks would uh, really perceive or, or translate the references and stuff like that. Uh, I, I liked it. I, I caught myself, uh, you know, giggling during it, uh, even reading it just uh, this week. Uh, especially, yeah, Bishop in there uh, with the big afro, and but still has the M tattoo over his eye. You got to... Uh, you know, you straight tripping, <laughs> turning up the funk on the on the uh, boombox. It, it's just fun, silly stuff. Uh, really liked it, which puts it in like this weird contrast with the uh, third story here that the chamber uh, walking around New York City one. It was so tonally different because that was like more of an introspective piece, which, you know, if you read just the first two stories, you might not think that uh, Mahfoud has it in him to do something like that, to do this... Real, uh, you know, straight, uh, introspective, uh, sort of teenage indulgent story with Chamber, you know, waxing, you know, philosophical around uh, New York City, but he pulls it off in it, and it's it's actually quite satisfying. Um, it, you know, looking at it now, you might consider it a little bit precious, but I tell you what, it's no more precious than those Vertigo books that the dude at Atomic Comics was trying to push on me. It's uh, <laughs> that was like the uh, the tone of the day back then. Uh, 
But I, I enjoyed it. If, when I remembered what the story was, I, I kind of winced a little bit because I figured, ah, you know, I, I don't need to read something this indulgent and this uh, morose and teenage angsty. But uh, I thought it was good. It was. Uh, it didn't overstay its welcome. Um, it told a neat little story, just a, a nice little look inside the uh, the man with half a face. Uh, it reminded me of a story that happened late in the run of Generation X. I believe it was during Counter X, where... It was like a four-issue arc where each issue just focused on one of the kids just going about their business. And uh, in Jono's, I believe he was in New York City, and he was just basically going from, you know, vintage record store to vintage record store and just thinking and talking and looking through records. And uh, that's something I can relate to. So it's uh, this reminded me of that, which, uh, I don't know, maybe gave it a a dash of, you know, comfort food seasoning <laughs> that uh, I really appreciated this time out. And like I said, it didn't overstay its welcome. If it would have went a few more pages of the same stuff, I might be thinking differently, but it was only a, you know, a little handful of pages and a nice little aside, especially in contrast with the sillier stuff that's in the book. You know, the video game one, the Banshee's Angels, all the parody, you know, the ads and the, and the T-shirt and all that stuff. This really just stood out as being, you know, novel, and something really special at the end of the day. Uh, this whole book, it's a, it's a special book. Um, it's just so weird. <laughs> it should have never been made. You know, it's this sort of thing that... Because I'm pretty sure when I saw it on the on the rack, I had no idea what to make of it. Because uh, <laughs> you look at it, and I'm looking at it right now, it just it doesn't look like a Marvel book. It says Marvel on it. There's a big X on it. But uh, it looks almost like it would be a parody of, of an X book. But it is actually something that exists, and uh, I don't know, you can consider it canon, even. it's uh, It doesn't really do anything but show a few days in the life, except for, you know, Banshee's Angels, of course. I mean, that could just be a, a fever dream uh, for one of the girls or something, for all we know. But, uh, you know, the Chamber story, that works. The video game story, that fits, too. It's just a lot of fun to be had with this book. I think uh, if you are a an X-Fan or a fringe X-Fan or just a fan of uh, Jim Mahfoud, uh, I think you can get a lot of... Uh, a lot of enjoyment out of this book, and I, I recommend trying to trying to track it down. I don't know if this is on Marvel Unlimited. I don't have Marvel Unlimited, and I'm not you know especially interested in getting it. But so I don't know if uh, if that's on there. Um, I something tells me it's not. <laughs> I don't know, um, I, and I don't know if it's on any sort of digital uh, downloads. Oh, I, I'm sure it's somewhere digitally, but uh, legally, I, I'm not sure if you can find it. Uh, through Marvel, uh, it's it is a book that pops up in the cheapo bins, you know, fairly regularly out by me. Uh, and you know, if you don't have the cheapo bins, I'm sure they're in the back issue bins. I don't know how much I would tell you to spend on a book like this. <laughs> For novelty's sake, I figure cover price is probably fair enough. Um, I don't know. You might want to pay a little more or less. Who knows? Uh, I'm not, I don't tell people you know how to spend their money, but. Uh, that was the Generation X Underground Special. Uh, I really enjoyed my time with this uh, back in 98 and uh, now in, in 19. Uh, it's a fun book with characters I enjoy and uh, a unique art style that I also quite enjoy. So uh, kind of a perfect storm of uh, good stuff for me. And yet another reminder of just how important uh, you know these old franchises were and are to me and... Uh, they're really bringing me a lot more joy than I thought they would uh, in current year. I almost feel like I'm a kid again in a way. It's a, a weird feeling. 
but definitely one I don't mind. <laughs> I'm having a great time revisiting these old books here, and I hope that comes across, and I hope you guys are enjoying this uh, little trip down uh, Marvel memory lane, or Marvel re-memory lane, I don't know how we go. <laughs> I'm babbling, but uh, I hope you're digging what, uh, what I'm doing here, and uh, again, if anybody's interested in hearing me do a deep dive on, on the X-Books of this era, let me know. Um, and if uh, you know anybody would like to come and discuss some of their X-Men memories, uh, let me know that as well, and we'll see what we can uh, figure out somewhere down the line when I discover uh, you know, a few more hours of the day. But I think that's all I've got for you this week. Uh, I want to apologize for not having a Chris's on Infinite Earths this week. Uh, just all the stuff going on with the car, and uh, you know, I tried uh, putting out an episode. I was recording uh, the pre-ramble, you know, the uh, the bit before the comic, the bit that usually takes way more than the comic does, but uh, I just couldn't get it right. You know, I had trouble putting it into words that I really wanted them to be in, I guess. I just couldn't make it happen. So I apologize for that if anybody was looking forward to that. I, I couldn't imagine anybody would be, but uh, if you were, I apologize that it wasn't there, and I will try to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Now, if you want to get a hold of me, the best place to do so is probably on Twitter, at Ace Comics. Um, we got the show site at uh, chrisandreggie.com, where I'll try to get those uh, bootleg cards up so we can all become very wealthy very quickly. Uh, you can also check out uh, my personal site, chrisisoninfiniteearths.com, where I'm still going through Action Comics Weekly, every single story, every single day. I think we're down to like the last month or so. Uh, I think we got like four issues to go, so... There is a finish line in sight, so that's a that's a very good thing for a lot of reasons. So, <laughs> but uh, if you're interested in checking any of that stuff out or any of my other DC ramblings, you can do so right there at chrisisoninfiniteearth.com. I want to thank you so so much for hanging out. Um, have a real good time doing this show. I hope you guys do as well, and uh, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya.